إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So previously then we've now covered the other pillars of Iman we covered the Iman in Allah the Iman in the angels Iman in the books Iman in the prophets and messengers and now we come to the fifth one Iman in the day of judgment so this section now it's going to cover everything that is associated with Iman in the day of judgment that will be the signs of the hour it will be about death about the barzakh the grave and what happens in the grave about the resurrection and then all of the events that take place after the resurrection there is of course the accountability that will occur the books that the people will be given the books of their deeds the weighing scale where the good and the bad deeds are balanced up in the hold the pond of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam on that day the bridge that the people must cross over the bridge over the hellfire that they must cross to get to paradise the shafa'ah the intercession that occurs on that day all of the various events that occur regarding the day of judgment then that is what we're going to discuss insha'Allah ta'ala over the next eight sessions approximately <clears throat> Iman in the day of judgment where does it begin from what is the beginning point of Iman in the day of judgment what is the first topic that comes into Iman in the day of judgment huh? death resurrection Okay. <coughs> no, but the question is, what's the first thing? When we're going to talk about now Iman in the day of judgment, what's the first thing, the first topic that you start with? Is it resurrection? Is it signs of the hour? Where do you begin with? in Iman in the day of judgment the first topic the trumpet the grave so the first topic somebody mentioned it is death when you talk about Iman in the day of judgment then that begins from the moment of death because when you die from that moment onwards you are now going into the barzakh the grave so all of that now is the beginning of the events of the day of judgment for you as soon as you die and you transfer over from this world into the barzakh your journey of the afterlife has now begun so death is the opening topic here death is the opening topic when we're going to discuss the day of judgment 
<clears throat> you need to categorize everything here carefully now. To categorize the Iman in the Day of Judgment. So that we know which category we're discussing every week. You have a mind map of where we're going and where we are. So when it comes to the Day of Judgment, you can say that there are two main categories in the Iman in the Day of Judgment. So overall, your topic is Iman in the Day of Judgment. From that, you have two arrows. There are two main subcategories in the Iman in the Day of Judgment. One, as we've just begun talking about now, is going to be death and barzakh. That is one side. Death and barzakh. The other main side is then resurrection and everything that happens then. So two main parts in your iman in the day of judgment. One is the barzakh and everything that happens in the barzakh. And the other is the actual resurrection and then everything that happens there. Because when you die, you're going to be in Barzakh. That's the grave, the Barzakh. And you're going to be there up until the day of judgment, the resurrection occurs. So that first period of time, that first section is the first category of the Iman in the day of judgment we're going to discuss. The second category is the resurrection and everything that happens thereafter. So, Iman in the Day of Judgment, Iman in Barzakh, death and the Barzakh, the grave, and Iman in resurrection. First topic, as we said, is death and the Barzakh. That has three parts to it. Death, and the Barzakh section has three arrows in it. Three topics within it. Firstly, the moment of death occurring. Death occurring. Secondly, the trial of the grave. And thirdly, punishments and blessings of the grave. Three topics there. So, getting complicated now, huh? Who wants to volunteer to explain what we've just explained? Who wants to volunteer? The breakdown. So, we'll move it along slowly. Our topic of discussion right now is Iman in the Day of Judgment. That's your title. That's what we're discussing for the next eight weeks or so. Iman in the Day of Judgment. That has two parts to it. One part is the section about death and the barzakh. The other section of it is Resurrection and the afterlife. Coming over to this section about death and the barzakh, that has how many parts to it? Three. They are the moment of death itself, then the trial of the grave, we'll discuss what that is in a moment, and then punishments and blessings of the grave. <clears throat> that small chart you can make and that will summarize these first two or three weeks worth of study. That chart, keep it in mind. So we're going to start on the section about death and barzakh. That is our first section. 
and the first arrow within that section was about the occurrence of death. That in Arabic has a name to it. The moments leading up to death, those final moments, there is a name for it in Arabic. You may come across it in the books of Aqidah, etc. It is known as Al-Ihtidhar. Al-Ihtidhar. That is the name of those final moments at death. Those final moments. And it comes from the verb Ihtidhara. Ihtidhiru. Ihtidhar. Referring to the final moments before death. Right at the point of death. That is known as Al-Ihtidhar. That final moment before death, Al-Ihtidhar, it is talking about the actual very last moment before you die. And that is the moment the angels descend upon you. The moment the angels, they descend upon you. The angels of mercy and the angels of punishment and they take your soul. The angel of death, of course, by the permission of Allah, takes your soul and then there are other angels also that help him and aid him in the removal of that soul thereafter. So that final moment is known as Al-Ihtidhar. What is the actual death then? How do we define death? Absolutely, in a nutshell, in a nutshell you can say that death is Mufaraqatul Ruh Lil Jasad. The separation of the soul from the body. That is the definition of death, the separation of the soul from the body. That's why we have something known as the minor death and then the actual major death. What is the minor death? Sleeping. When you sleep, then that is referenced as the minor death. Because when you sleep, your soul exits from your body. And there are narrations about how Allah keeps some of those souls back. And they are the people who die in their sleep. And others, their souls are returned. So that is a temporary separation. That the soul separates from the body and then it returns that is therefore known as the minor death. But the major and the actual death is when the soul separates from the body for good in terms of this world. It will not be coming back to that body in this world. In this world now, that body is a corpse. The soul will not be coming back to it. So the soul has separated from that body an absolute separation in terms of this world. That is then the death. That is essentially what is referenced as death, that the soul has left the body and it will not be coming back to this body in this world again. Later on it will return in the barzakh, in the afterlife. But in this world, the soul will not be coming back to this body now. That person has now died. What do we say about the soul itself? What is the soul? What is it though? What have the scholars said the soul actually is? <coughs> it's a blessing but what is the description of the soul 
somebody asks you what is the soul what are you gonna say Allah knows best light they say that the soul is an uh, it is a an independent entity it is an independent standalone entity an independent standalone entity aynun qaimun binafsiha as they say but it is an independent standalone entity it is an entity that is within us we cannot say how or where but it is an entity a standalone independent entity within us that is the soul as the scholars have mentioned Shaykh al-Islam said Laysat Hiya al-Badn Wala juz min ajza'ihi The soul Is not the body Your physical body Is one thing The soul is something else So you can't say your soul is just Your body Body and soul Body is one thing Soul is another entity Neither can you say that your soul is a certain part of your body. It is not a part of your body. Like your arm or your hand or your heart or your liver. It is not a part of your body like that. It is an independent entity. Whereas your heart by itself is not an independent entity. It cannot just be a heart by itself. It needs to be in the body. It's a part of the body. The soul is an independent, standalone entity. So it's not an organ of your body like that, like your heart or your lungs. It's not the body as a whole. It is a separate item. So when that soul, this entity, exits from the person's body and will not be returning to that person in this world now, gone for good in terms of this world that person has now died. That is death. What about the soul? The soul does not die. Any comments on that? So you're saying the same thing. The soul is eternal, meaning that the soul doesn't die. Anybody else? When the person dies, what's happened to the soul? Has the soul died or what? <clears throat> so it's correct to say that the soul does not die. The soul does not die. The soul simply transfers from one place to the next. So right now the soul is with the person in the body. Then when death occurs, which we've now defined as the soul leaving this body, the soul just leaves and moves into the barzakh. The barzakh is the grave. The soul just moves into that world of the barzakh. Then on the resurrection, the soul simply moves into the afterlife. So the soul is simply transferring from one place to the next. There isn't a death as such upon the soul. So the soul does not die. The person dies, his body dies, he dies. His soul transfers on. And then in the resurrection, it transfers on again. Then, there is some description in the Sunnah, in the Quran, or in the Sunnah in particular, and some ayat, referring to how death occurs. And it explains the different 
states of death occurring to a person. So it is mentioned, Ruhul Mu'min Takhruju Bisuhula. That on the whole, generally speaking, the soul of a believer exits with ease. Generally, on the whole, the soul of a believer exits with ease. وَدَلِيلُ ذَلِكَ قَوْلُهُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ The evidence is the statement of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم تَسِيلُ كَمَا تَسِيلُ الْقَطِرَ مِنْ فِي السِّقَعِ That it pours out of the person just like water flows out of a vessel. Just as easily as the water flows out of a bottle, a cup, then the soul flows out of a believer at the time of death just with that type of ease. That is the example given of the ease of which the soul flows out of a believer at the time of death. That does not mean that a believer doesn't feel anything at the time of death. The pains of death are felt the pains of death are mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah those pains of death exist but on the whole the death of a believer is with the ease of the exiting of the soul on the whole in the Quran it mentions وَجَاءَتْ سَكْرَةُ الْمَوْتِ بِالْحَقِّ when Allah mentioned in Surah Qaf, number 19, when the Sakratul Maut comes, when that striking of death comes, when the moments of death come and the, the state of death comes, with truth, meaning the pains and the the difficulties of that moment they come just prior to death when the soul is going to be taken that is what you were trying to avoid so no doubt there are difficulties of death that occur when the prophet was in his final moments in the illness of his death then he would say, La ilaha illallah, inna lil la sakarat. La ilaha illallah, indeed, death has its pains, has its pains, has its difficulties. So that is something established. However, on the whole, the soul exits with ease from that believer. Whereas in the Sunnah it is mentioned that a disbeliever has a different experience. A disbeliever, the soul does not exit from him with that same type of ease that it exits from the believer with. So it is mentioned regarding the disbeliever how the soul exits with difficulty with severity severity and difficulty it's mentioned in a hadith فَيَنْتَزِعُهَا كَمَا يُنْتَزِعُ الصَّفُودِ مِنَ الصُّوفِ الْمَبْلُولِ that it is ripped out just like a thorn is ripped out of wet wool Imagine a bowl of wet wool and you have a thorn, a hook in the middle of it. So now to remove that out of this pile of wool, as it comes out, it's going to be ripping that wool everywhere as you pull this hook out of this bowl of wet wool. That is the example given of the soul of the disbeliever exiting 
that it is as though it's being ripped out and that wool being ripped apart, meaning his body and his veins and his arteries, as though they are ripping apart when that soul exits. And that mentions, it is mentioned, فَيَنْقَطِعُ مَعَهَا الْعُرُوقِ وَالْعَصَبِ كَمَا يُسْتَخْرَجَ الصُّوفِ الْمَبْلُولِ بِالصُّفُودِ ذِي شَعَبِ that he is ripped apart. Just like when you rip out that thorn from that bowl of wool and it rips it everywhere, you can't get it out clean. It rips him apart as the soul exits from his body. So that is <clears throat> the example given of how the souls, they exit in different ways. Different for the believer and different for the disbeliever. Ease is mentioned for the believers at the time of the soul exiting. Which doesn't mean though there won't be any pains of death just prior to that. And as for the disbeliever then it is ripped out. Because of course the disbeliever his soul does not want to leave and to get out knowing where it is going to now. So there is that difference mentioned in the evidences regarding how the souls they exit. So that is our first small category in the section, the subsection of the Barzakh. Barzakh, for those who aren't aware of the term, the word barzakh in the Arabic language means what? A barrier. A barrier between two things. A barrier between two things. So barzakh is a barrier between two things. What are the two things that the barzakh, meaning the life of the grave, what is the two things that the life of the grave, the barzakh, is a barrier between? This life, this dunya, and the afterlife, the resurrection when it happens. When you die in this world, is that straight away you in the resurrection and day of judgment happening? When you die in this world, then you are in the barzakh, in the grave. Whether you are buried in the grave or not, you are going to be in the state of the barzakh. That is the barrier between this world and the afterlife. That is the middle barrier, the barzakh, where you will be in the grave, buried, or even if not buried, you will be in this state of the barzakh. So that is the barzakh we're talking about. Within the barzakh, like we said, there were how many subcategories? Three, and we've just discussed the first one, which was all about death and the, the moment of death, and that is known as ihtidar. So that was a brief look at death, the definition of death, about the soul, a brief uh, identification of what the soul is, and the differences between the exiting of the soul of a believer and the soul of a disbeliever. The second subcategory in the Barzakh section was Fitnatul Qabr, Fitna, Fitnatul Qabr, the trial of the grave, known as the Fitna of the grave, the trial of the grave. That is our second subcategory under the section of al-barzakh fitnatul qabr <coughs> it is basically that every person is going to be questioned after you die everybody is questioned with the three famous questions that we're all aware of. Man Rabbuka. Who is your Lord? Wama Dinuka. What is your religion? 
وَمَنْ نَبِيُّكَ And who is your prophet? Those questions, the questioning of the grave, that is what is known as the fitna of the grave. Fitna tul qabr, the trial of the grave, is that questioning that everybody receives after they die. What if somebody is never buried? They are burnt alive until nothing is left of their body. They are eaten alive by some predatory animal until nothing is left of them. They drown out at sea. People who are never buried, what is the ruling regarding them and all of these discussions we're having now? The ruling is exactly the same. Makes no difference whether a person was buried or not. Whether that person's body disintegrated in fire or eaten by an animal makes no difference at all to any of these rulings. The only reason we call it the fitnatul qabr, the trial of the grave, is because throughout history, Throughout history, whatever the cultures and religions of the people, what was known on the whole, even though the people have deviated over time, what was known on the whole and is still known on the whole, is that the dead are buried. That is the norm of the human race, that the dead are buried. And so it is on the ghalib the overwhelming the majority of people are buried so the scholars they refer to these things upon the majority situation fitnatul qabr the trial of the grave because the majority are buried even if you're not though all of this applies exactly the same after this we're gonna get to the punishments and the blessings of the grave as they call them but even if you were never buried, all of those things will apply exactly the same. So it doesn't matter whether you're buried or not, whether your body was eaten alive, burnt alive, all of these rulings apply the same. It's just because the majority situation is that people are buried. It became known as the trial of the grave and the punishments of the grave and the blessings of the grave, etc., so the trial of the grave we're on now. And that is the questioning that everybody receives after dying. What is the evidence for it? What is the evidence that this questioning occurs? There are evidences in the Quran and in the Sunnah. As for the Quran... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said يثبت الله الذين آمنوا بالقول الثابت في الحياة الدنيا وفي الآخرة that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes firm firmly grounded with an upright statement in this life and in the hereafter for those who have Iman. Alladheena amanu. Those who have Iman. Then Allah will establish them with an upright statement in this world and in the hereafter. As for Allah establishing them upon an upright statement in this world then that refers to them being upon as-siratul mustaqim upon this world being upon the guided pathway upon the sunnah upon the aqidah being upon the upright statement in this world not being upon innovations and misguidances and shirk and whatever it be that Allah keeps them grounded with an upright statement in this world, i.e. keeps them upon 
the straight path. But what about وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ That Allah will keep them with an upright, firm, established position in the afterlife also. What is that in reference to? That is in reference to the questioning of the grave. That Allah will keep them also upright, established upon the truth at the time of the questioning in the grave. How do we know that this is the tafsir of this ayah? Because the Prophet ﷺ told us in an authentic hadith that this is the tafsir of this ayah. So you have in Al-Bukhari from the hadith of Al-Bara' ibn Azib that ayah Surah Ibrahim 27 in Al-Bukhari from the hadith of Al-Bara' ibn Azib that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said إِذَا أُقْعِدَ الْمُؤْمِنُ فِي قَبَرِهِ أُتِيَا ثُمَّ شَهِدَ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدَ الرَّسُولُ اللَّهِ فَذَلِكَ قَوْلُهُ يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ ثَابِتِ In the narration it mentions that when a believer is sat up in his grave, the angels come to you after you die and they sit you up and then you testify, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad rasulullah Meaning that you answer those questions that are put to you, your Lord, your religion, your Prophet. You testify and you answer those questions. It says in the hadith, that is the meaning of the ayah. يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ الثَّابِتِ So this is a hadith clarifying to us that this ayah of the Qur'an is referring to the trial of the grave. That Allah will keep the believers upright at the time of that trial and that questioning. Similarly, there are many ahadith, many other ahadith in the sunnah establishing and affirming the trial of the grave. So for example, there is a hadith, the hadith, <coughs> the hadith which is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim, hadith of Asma radiyallahu anha, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, وَإِنَّهُ قَدْ أُوحِيَ Hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim that the Prophet said indeed it has been revealed to me indeed it has been revealed to me that you will be tried in your graves with a trial that is similar or very close to the trial of the Dajjal. Such will be this trial of the grave that it has been revealed to me you will be tested and tried with a trial very near and close to the trial similar to the trial of the Dajjal itself. So that is in reference to the Fitnatul Qabr the trial of the grave and the questioning in the grave. There are other narrations, but those two evidences will suffice. One ayah and one hadith, both proving the trial of the grave. Here now then, there are some issues linked to the trial of the grave. This questioning that happens in the grave. First question is, first issue is, هَلْ فِتْنَةُ الْقَبْرِ لِلْأُمَمِ كُلِّهَا أَمْ لِهَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ فَقَطْ 
This trial of the grave is it something that is in our religion only? Is this something that was revealed in Islam in our religion only? So it is only this ummah from the time of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam who have this experience? Or is this something that applies to all of the people from back? Everybody? So the answer to that question, is this trial of the grave something specific to this ummah or something general to all of the umam, all of the nations that came before us also, is that it is for all of the people. It is something which occurs for all of the people. And that is the general understanding from the evidences, the generality of them, nothing to specify that it is only this ummah that this is applicable to. The second issue, point number two regarding the trial of the grave. There are some people who will be excused from the trial of the grave. Some people will be excused, exempt from the trial of the grave. Which categories of people will be exempt from the trial of the grave? The martyrs. That is one category. The martyrs are exempt from the trial of the grave. And there is a hadith in Kitabul Janais of Sunan An Nasai, whereby it mentions that a man came to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and said to him, Ya Rasulallah, ما بال المؤمنين يفتنون في قبورهم إلا الشهيد قال كفى ببارقة السيوف على رأسه فتنة that a man came to the Prophet وسلم, and he said O oh Messenger of Allah how come all the believers are given this trial of the grave except the martyrs 
So the Prophet ﷺ told him, sufficient was the clanging of the swords, the striking of the swords upon his neck as a trial upon him. That is sufficient for him. The striking of the swords upon his neck is enough of a trial for them. So the point of the narration is the Prophet ﷺ affirmed the statement of the one who was asking him, how come the martyrs are exempt from the trial of the grave? The Prophet ﷺ affirmed that and told him the reason why. So this hadith is an affirmation and a proof that the martyrs are exempt from the trial of the grave. Another category, something more connected here first. Prophets and messengers. What's the evidence that prophets and messengers are exempt? Because if we've now just seen, we've now just seen from this hadith that martyrs are exempt. Who is superior, martyrs or prophets and messengers? Prophets and messengers. So if martyrs are exempt, then prophets and messengers must obviously also be exempt. So prophets and messengers are also definitely exempt. And there is another reason the scholars mention too. And that is because the trial of the grave, one of the questions is, Man nabiyuka, who is your prophet? And if the prophets and messengers are going to be questioned, they themselves were the prophet. They themselves were the ones given the revelation to pass on. So the scholars say they would not be given this trial. They themselves were given the revelation. They were the prophets and messengers. So for those reasons, <coughs> scholars have mentioned that the prophets and the messengers are exempt from the trial of the grave also. There are some other categories as well. Uh, one of them is mentioned as the murabit. The murabit is the one that guards at the front line, you could say. The one that guards the walls of the city. Stands at the boundaries in guarding that land. Meaning if the enemy ever came and started firing, the first one to be hit would be this murabit as it is known as. So for that, the one who stands as a murabit on the boundaries looking out for the enemy, knowing that if they come and they strike, he will be the first to be struck. That is mentioned, uh, the one who does that and dies Upon that way, then he is also exempt uh, from the trial of the grave. Man mata murabitan fi sabilillah. And there are a hadith about that too in Sahih Muslim. Ribatu yawmin wa laylah khayrun min sayami shahrin wa qiyamih. Doing that ribat, standing on the boundary edges, looking out for the enemy. Doing that for one day and night is better than fasting a month and praying a month. وَإِنْ مَاتَ And if he dies, جَرَ عَلَيْهِ عَمَلُهُ الَّذِي كَانَ يَعْمَلُهُ وَأُجْرِ عَلَيْهِ رِزْقُهُ وَأُمِنَ الْفَتَّانِ And if that person dies, then he gets the reward of the actions he used to do and he's given his sustenance and provisions. But the point being, وَأُمِنَ الْفَتَّانِ That he is protected from those who give the trial, the angels who come to do that trial, he will be protected from them. So that is another category mentioned of those who are protected or exempt. There is another category mentioned by some scholars. 
And this one may be disputed to a degree, but it is mentioned, and that is the one who dies on a Friday night. The one who dies on a Friday night. And remember when we say Laylatul Jumu'ah, Friday night in the Islamic sense of Friday night, then in our English language that is actually Thursday night we're talking about. Thursday when Maghrib happens, you finish your Maghrib prayer, now you are in, Islamically speaking, Friday night. Because Islamically the night comes before the day. So right now we are in Saturday night, Islamically speaking. And tomorrow is the day of Saturday, night before the day. So in the narration when it says the person who dies on Friday night, it's talking about how we understand things from Maghrib time onwards on the day of Thursday. So Thursday night, how we say it. The night before Friday. And there is a hadith. مَا مِن مُسْلِمٍ يَمُوتُ يَوْمَ الْجُمْعَةِ أَوْ لَيْلَةَ الْجُمْعَةِ إِلَّا وَقَاهُ اللَّهُ فِتْنَةَ الْقَبْرِ That there is not a person who dies on the Friday day itself or the night before it, the Friday night and the Friday itself, except that he is protected from the trial of the grave. This, as we said, there is some discussion regarding the authenticity of the narration, but some of the scholars view it to be authentic, uh, as Sheikh al-Albani from amongst them. So that is uh, something with more discussion around it, but there is that narration about it. Then there is another category, we're on category number five now and this one as well does have a degree of discussion around it it's not straightforward there are some points of discussion around it there are some debates about it we're not going to discuss all of those that isn't the objective otherwise it'll be 80 sessions not eight but here we'll just mention the fifth category and that is man la taklifa alayhi kasagheer wal majnoon. A person who does not have any responsibility upon him. Like a child before the age of puberty or somebody who didn't have their mental faculties. Somebody who didn't have their mental faculties at all. Then that person doesn't have the responsibilities of the religion upon them. And a person who is a child yet not at the age of puberty doesn't have the responsibilities of the religion upon them. That is mentioned in the hadith, The pen is raised from three and those three are When you're asleep, until you wake up whilst in the state of sleep you're not responsible the responsibility is lifted from you secondly somebody who doesn't have their mental faculties until they regain them and thirdly a child until he reaches the age of puberty. So, in this category, they mention the child and somebody who has lost or doesn't have their mental faculties, that they would be exempt from the trial of the grave. There is some discussion around this, like we said, because there are some narrations that would appear to indicate that these categories or some of the narrations about the children that they do still get this trial of the grave some narrations appear to indicate that but sufficient for now just to mention that that is one of the categories scholars have highlighted also anybody wanting further discussion on it it's actually for once available in english too in that book of Sheikh Al-Fawzan, Al-Irshad ila Sahih al 
A Guide to Sound Creed. The book in English of a Sheikh Al-Fawzan, A Guide to Sound Creed. And in fact, this uh, eight-week course we're doing right now, Day of Judgment, maybe 50, 60, 70% of the material, you'll find it in that book. There are good points of discussion in that book. And it's translated into English. So that book, I would definitely advise you get a copy of that. A Guide to Sound Creed of Sheikh Al-Fawzan. And go to the section about the Day of Judgment. A lot of it will be there. A lot of these points, maybe not exactly the same and not the same detail in some parts and slightly different in others. But overall, there's a good chapter in that book about the Day of Judgment. Easy and simple to understand. So, there are the five categories. A couple of things just to round off this section. Kuffar, disbelievers, are they given this trial of the grave? This is again a point of discussion uh, and it is differed over. Majority of the scholars, they say, yes, the kuffar are also given this trial of the grave. But some of the scholars did differ with this. Ibn Abd al-Barr, al-Suyuti and others. They said, an open kafir, a clear and open kafir as opposed to a munafiq, a hypocrite who's hiding it. A clear and open kafir, they say, no, he won't be tested. Because he is a clear and open kafir, there is no test there. He's a straight fail. He's a clear and open kafir. There is nothing to bring out of him. So he is a kafir, straight and blatant. No need for the test for him. That's what some of them said. They said, as for the hypocrite, now it becomes something of value in terms of the hypocrite. Because the hypocrite in this world was pretending to be Muslim. So now when the trial of the grave comes to him, the reality of him will come out. He will not be able to answer the questions properly. He will not be able to answer the questions as a believer does. So now this test brings out the reality of the munafiq. Whereas the open and clear kafir, open and clear and blatant anyway. That is an opinion of some scholars. But the majority, as we said, they say no, everyone, including the open and blatant kuffar, will be given these tests. And they say the purpose of it with the blatant and open kuffar is, as we go through, we'll see with the events of the Day of Judgment, to show the justice of Allah upon them. They will be asked the questions, they can't answer them, so now they know why they are getting what they're going to get becomes clear to them there is no oppression, there is no injustice. They are shown everything. They are given to experience that, given those questions. And now they see and they realize and they experience what's happening to them and why and where they're going. So that is all of them as it is mentioned by the majority. Uh, the two angels that come to do the trial of the grave, the two angels, they are Al-Munkar and An-Nakir. Al-Munkar and An-Nakir. That is the names of the two angels. What do they look like when they come to the person for the trial of the grave? What do they look like? It mentions in a hadith that they are azraqani aswadani. That they come in a blue and black appearance. That is all it mentions. They come in a black and blue appearance. Some of the scholars did ijtihad. Only ijtihad. Not in the Quran and the Sunnah specifically like this. But ijtihad. They said maybe, possibly that could mean that the angels come in dark black figures with shiny bright blue eyes because that gives an appearance that is frightful. 
to see these black figures approaching with burning blue eyes, then it's an appearance that is terrifying and frightening. Some of the scholars said maybe that is what it means. But all we can say is that the narration says they come in a black and blue appearance. The final thing that we're going to round off on today is um, the issue of the soul, going back to the topic of the soul, that the soul, as Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned, is connected to the body in five different stages. Five different forms of connection. The soul, that independent entity, is connected with us in five different stages. Five different ways. Five different levels. And Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned those five different stages. Five different levels. But because it's time for the Isha prayer, regrettably, we won't be able to mention what those five are right now, which means it will be an appropriate homework for everybody to investigate for two weeks. And after two weeks, inshallah ta'ala, at the beginning of the next session, we'll start with those five different connections the soul has with the person so that is basically concluding the first two subcategories in the barzakh section the first subcategory was about death we've done that the second subcategory was fitnatul qabr we've covered the main points third subcategory we're going to start with next time will be punishments and blessings of the grave what actually happens when you're in the grave or as we said even if you're not buried after you die up until the resurrection happens what's gonna happen in that time period what actually happens during that time that is the discussion we're gonna begin with next time inshallah ta'ala any question anything quick before the prayer That's okay. Kullu nafsin Every nafs shall taste death. Is the nafs the same as the ruh? That is a discussion between the scholars. Sometimes you could reference both with the same meaning. Even if we reference both with the same meaning, there's no contradiction. The soul tastes death. It would simply refer to the moment of that occurrence and the soul transferring and being taken unto the afterlife that is the tasting of the moment of death not that it dies itself it wouldn't necessarily have to be in a position of jihad the murabit is the one that guards the outer boundaries and walls of the lands so it indicates that there's a threat, hence the requirement for a murabit, but it doesn't necessitate, it's an active jihad going on. It could be a threat and then something occurs and the enemy comes and then he's killed. So he would count in this narration and it may not have been an active jihad at the moment he went there and took that position. The believers need to be aware of the answers for fitnatul qabr and that is why one of the scholars as shaykh muhammad ibn abdul wahhab rahimahullah ta'ala wrote that famous book the three fundamental principles that book is available in english in multiple different translations or explanations that book the three fundamental principles it is talking about the three questions in the grave. 
That's why it's such an important book for every person to study. Those three fundamental principles. Who is your Lord? What is your religion? And who is your prophet? To know those answers and to know those aspects in detail, the believer needs to. Because you will be questioned about it in the afterlife. So certainly it is a requirement for the believers to have that knowledge and that minimum level of knowledge. We'll round off on that for tonight then. Inshallah ta'ala in two weeks time we'll carry on.